0: Amen. I don't want to belabor the point because uh, I'm going to try to get through several things tonight that I feel the Lord has laid on my heart for this moment, for uh, this service tonight. And uh, if you have your Bible, you can turn with me very quickly uh, to Matthew 26. Matthew 26, I'm going to get in verse 36. Matthew 26:36. I'll summarize very quickly, then I'm going to move on to some new points. I began this a couple Wednesday nights ago, finding Gethsemane. And I believe that the Lord is going to uh, heal us in 2020. Uh, how many were here on Sunday for Vision Sunday? How many were in the house on Vision Sunday? How many are excited about what the Lord is about to do among us? Excited about what's going on? Um, I know Pastor John talked tonight about um, our uh, business uh, meeting. Uh, we're pushing it back a little bit, uh, some scheduling conflicts. It's okay, we'll get to it February 26th, I believe the date is. February 26th, the last Wednesday night in February, and we're going to come together. We're going to have a, a great time. Think about having party hats and some streamers and stuff. I'm just, I'm just thankful for what God is doing and what God is doing now, what he's about to do. Amen. And so don't miss that. Be here for that. If you're a member of Truth Chapel, be here for that. February the 26th is going to be a great time. Amen. Uh, Matthew 26 and 36, would you have it. just shout, I got it. This is what the, the, uh, the Lord's, uh, the word says. It says, then cometh Jesus with them into a place called Gethsemane and saith unto the disciples, sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. And then saith he unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Uh, tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as Thy will. And he cometh unto the disciple and findeth them asleep. And saith unto Peter, what, what, could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, that will be done. He came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. I want to read for you Luke 22 really quickly before I have you seated. Luke 22 and verse 43. This is the same story being told by Luke. It's just the same story. And I, but I want to read this one scripture because it's going to make some sense in just a little while. He said, and there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Now, Matthew doesn't depict this moment. Matthew doesn't paint this picture for us. Luke does. Luke says that in the middle of this prayer meeting, this three-hour prayer meeting, that God sent an angel and that angel strengthened him. Um, so tonight I'm going to continue my series in finding Gethsemane and we're going to touch on a few points and I believe God's going to help us. And I believe God's going to begin some stuff in some people tonight that's going to continue on not only through 2020, but for the rest of your life. I, th- this is what I believe. And, and it's, it's, it's really what I know. It's what I know. If you will connect with what I'm teaching tonight, if you will bring this into your life and if you'll bring Jesus into These moments that I'm going to talk about in just a few moments. Here's what I promise you. I promise you that Jesus will heal what you have failed to heal in your life. I'm not talking about your toe or your bad knee. Jesus can heal all that too. And he wants to heal all that. By his stripes, your bodies have been healed already. I'm talking about your heart. Because if your heart doesn't get healed, who cares if your body's good? Amen. I know people who are physically inept, but their heart's right. And they're fine. In wheelchairs and fine. Paralyzed and fine. Dying of cancer and fine. Because the heart Is paramount. The emotional wounds that we carry with us are greater than the physical wounds we carry in our body. And the Lord told me that this year He wants to heal His people. So pray with me now. Lord, I thank you for your word and I ask you now to speak into our hearts. God, help me to get out of the way. God, work through your manservant tonight. Help me get out of the way. Help. Uh, help this man get out of the way so that people can hear the word and be attached to the word and that your word can heal them, help them and not only your word but your presence can heal them and help them God I pray tonight that you will bring understanding with all thy getting, get understanding and I pray that we would get it tonight and connect to it and God I pray that we would not be hearers of the word but doers of the word also and we give you all the praise and the glory for what happens next in Jesus name amen and you may be seated in Jesus name amen are you ready okay uh, I made two points last week about Gethsemane um, and, and I want to make those points over again just a little co- connection here Gethsemane is um, a little bit confusing because I don't, I don't know if if you know this or not but let me be very clear I personally believe that Jesus is God manifesting in the flesh. Amen. 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 That the word became flesh. There is but one God and the name that we have for him is Jesus. Amen. And um, when, when you are, uh, when you believe in that one God, Gethsemane is a little bit difficult because who, who is Jesus praying to? If Jesus is God, Who's he talking to? Amen. Now, here's where uh, a lot of people will jump off the train right here. uh, Because they'll say he's talking to himself. And I don't necessarily believe that. Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. He is all man and he's all God. He's all man because he sleeps. He's all God because he wakes up and says, peace, shut up. He's all man because he's hungry. But he's all God because he could turn the stones into bread if he wanted to. He's all man because he has a mama and he says, woman, what have I to do with thee? But he's all God because he waves his hand over the water and it becomes wine. When Jesus is in the garden, he is speaking as a man. This is his flesh, and we have to understand this point, that Jesus in this moment is in his flesh. He is speaking as a man, speaking to the God that is in him, around him, through him, and that flesh is crying out to God saying, I Don't want this. Now, if you if you miss this in Gethsemane, then you miss the whole point. Of the sacrificial lamb. Because what we have to know is this, is that Jesus. Went to that tree willingly. He didn't have to. If we take the willingly part away. And this was just God who could go through it. This was just God who wouldn't feel any pain. This was just God who you couldn't kill. Then it takes away the sacrificial lamb. But this man who bled and died, who was tired and hungry. This man who they stabbed with a spear. This man that they pushed crown of thorns on his head and it punctured his skin. This man shows us in Gethsemane a wrestling with God. Not one hour, not two hours, but three hours he wrestled with God. And his prayer was distinctly from Luke and Matthew, Lord, if there's any way I can get out of this, show me. Nevertheless, Not what I will, but what thy will be done. That man who bled and died for our sins went to that tree, shed his blood that me and you might be sin free, free from chains and bondage. That man, before he went to that tree, knelt his knee in a garden and openly told God, help me. I don't want to do this. This is too much for me. This is hard. Let me just point out some things for you about Gethsemane. And I'm going back a little bit. Let me just point out a few things about Gethsemane. Gethsemane, the Bible says he was exceeding sorrowful. Even unto death. The Bible says that he was heavy. He was sad. He was heavy. He was Fearful. He was sorrowful. He was so sorrowful that it felt like he was going to die. You ever been so sad you felt like he was going to die? You've been so mentally and emotionally sad that it hurt you physically? I have. I remember getting on an airplane in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. I walked away from that beautiful woman sitting over there and my six month year old baby in the little carriage. And my family, and I walked down onto the tarmac in Fort Bragg uh, in full battle rattle and got on an airplane and flew from that place to Iraq. And I remember taking off on that tarmac, and I was trying to be strong. I was not crying, trying to be, you know, the man, and I was trying to be strong. And I remember on that, sitting on that airplane that I began to visit. My chest hurt. I felt like a grown man had just sat down on my chest and there was nobody in the plane talking. Probably 300 soldiers in that airplane. Nobody's talking. Nobody's slapping hands. Nobody's excited. Nobody's saying, hey man, we're going to combat. We're going to war. Woo-hoo! None of that. That's the movies. That ain't real life. In real life, you hear sniffles in the background. You hear men choking back tears and I felt heavy and there was pain even unto death. I was physically hurting. This is what Jesus experienced in this garden. This was not a patty cake prayer meeting. This was a man who was distraught even unto death even unto death. He was distraught. He was heavy. He was sorrowful. The Bible says that when he got to the place, that when he little, the Bible says he left them there and he went a little further and he fell on his face. I can almost see this moment where he's, all right, you guys stay here. And as he, as he gets to that place along with God, he just crumbles to the ground and he's on his face and there's tears and there's pain and there's hurt and he's saying, God... He knows what's coming. He knows the breaking that's about to come upon him. Not only is it physical what's about to happen, but he's about to take the sin of the world and put it on his shoulders. The man who knew no sin is about to take all of our mess. And Think about all the guilt you have. Think about all the guilt you have. Times it by 100 billion And try to fit that into the envelope of your heart. This is what he carried in that moment. It was shame. It was guilt. It was pain. He didn't want it. He knew what was coming, and he did not want it. And he cried, and he wept, and he struggled. He said, if there's any way that I can get past this, let me get past this. I don't think that he repeated himself for three hours. I think that the writers give us context of his conversation with God. Here's the context of his conversation. I don't want to do this, but I will. That's the context of his conversation. But we don't know what he said exactly for three whole hours. He prayed for one hour. He found him sleeping. He prayed for another hour, found him sleeping, prayed for another hour, found him sleeping. Then they came to take him. It was a three-hour prayer meeting in which he poured himself out so heavily to God and in so much pain and fear that literally the capillaries under his skin burst and he bled, he sweated out blood. There's two things about Gethsemane that I want to bring it back to. Gethsemane is a place of, it is a safe place. And it is a place with safe people. It's a safe place, and it's a place with safe people. We we struggle to find safe places in our world today. And and I'm gonna say some things here, and make it on your nerves. That's fine. That's totally fine. I don't. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not here to, to, to make you happy. I'm here to bring you to a realization of something that you need to have in your life. Because we have we have lost the Gethsemane prayer because we struggle with telling God how we really feel. You'll tell me how you really feel, but when's the last time you told God how you really feel? We'll tell each other so much stuff. We'll tell people, I am hurt, I'm wounded, I can't believe they did that, I am I am offended, I am angry, I am, and but we, when we go to God, we don't say any of that stuff. Because somehow we lost this Gethsemane moment where God in relationship with us Can handle what we bring To him You say oh no 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 I don't say those things To God because I respect God No you don't say those things to God because you don't trust God You trust me to tell me The, the, the bads the ins the outs But we don't tell God because we struggle to find Safe place and, 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 and I'll say this. The, the church is one of the unsafest places there is on this planet. That's fine. That's good. I'll say it. I'm the pastor. Church is a, church is a place where it's, it's, sometimes it's just not safe up in here. Because people judge. People have their own ideas. And so many of us come from so many different kind of religious backgrounds we don't really know where we stand with people. And we're afraid to really be open and really say how we truly feel because we're afraid of judgment. Because church is like that sometimes. And we struggle with safe people. Who in your life can you tell everything to? Who? I can't even answer that question for myself. Who in your life can you sit down with and tell everything you feel? It's a struggle. And and I've said this before here, and I'll say it again because I think redundancy is a great thing. But, But sometimes I envy the Catholic church because they get to go sit in this little room with this man, and they can tell him everything. And when they get up from that place, they know he's not going to tell nobody. He's bound. He's not going to tell a soul. He sits there and listens to all that mess all day long. God help that man. <laughs> no telling what he's heard. But they going to just spill all the beans. Father, I sin. I hate my neighbor. I want to punch him in the face. And I've had anger in my heart. And he says, "Son, go thy way." Here's the problem: they're telling the wrong person. He can't do nothing for you. You can say out of hair, Mary. As you want to say it? Ain't helping you. But I just wish I could get it off my chest sometimes. Safe place, safe people. As a church, we have to create Gethsemane. Hear me, hear me, church. As a church, we have to create Gethsemane. I'm gonna get to this in just a moment because experience is powerful. Knowledge is powerful. But experience is more powerful. Because you can tell me everything you want to tell me and I can understand it. Say, oh yeah, I like that. That sounds good. Now, can you demonstrate it? Can I really feel it? Or is this just a story? Or is it just words on a paper? How can I experience that in my life? We have to find Gethsemane, a safe place with safe people. Now, now watch this. Watch this. He took that he took the disciples with him and to the place of prayer, but he did not share with them what he shared with God. He just wanted people around him that would let him share with God what he needed to share with God. The Bible says he went a little bit further. And somehow Matthew knew what he was saying. Are, are you hearing me right now? He was close enough to people for them to hear what he was saying to God, to put it in context. They didn't write down every word he said for three hours. And I know he didn't repeat himself because it was Jesus that told us, don't repeat yourself. He said, don't be like the, the, the Pharisee that stands in the street And repeats himself over and over and over and over because you're not getting nothing done that way. You need to talk to God. So the disciples are close enough to hear what he's saying, but he ain't saying it to them. They're just there. Jesus needed people that would be close enough to hear what he was saying. But he knew that those people could not help him. Here's what I'm saying. Some of us have gotten so close to people that we keep telling people what we should be telling God. I've I've literally experienced this. I've literally experienced this in this church before. People have come, sit in my office. Now, here's the truth. They don't know me. They are talking to the title, but they're not talking to the man. They don't know me. They don't know Court. They've said in my office, and they've told me all kinds of stuff. And then talking about, well, you know, it's just hard for me to trust people. I don't be trusting people up in here. You know what I'm saying? Because I don't do trust nobody. Well, yeah, you do. You just trusted me. You don't even know me. You just told me stuff that could put you in jail. You do. Matter of fact, you trust people too much. Because you're sitting in my office telling me you don't trust nobody, but I've already heard this story from four people in this church. So you obviously told them. Matter of fact, you tell everybody who will sit still long enough for you to tell them. You tell them everything. Oh, let me tell you what happened when I was three. And And then when I was 16, I was wearing this red shirt with this. And then let me tell you his name. His name was Todd. And I just met you. And I can't do nothing with this. And I just can't believe, I'm so, oh, I just, I, I, I'm so angry, I'm so mad, I can't believe they did that, I can't believe. And we done told everybody everything, ain't said nothing to God. Keep coming to church, oh glory to the Lamb. When's the last time you got along with God, nobody, and said, God, I'm mad. Where were you? Where were you when they did me like that? Where were you when they broke me? Where were you when I was hurting? Oh, no, we don't ask God those questions, do we? We have been trained. (laughs) We have been trained to not say those things to God. Have you ever heard somebody tell you, oh, don't ask God why? Well, don't read the book of Psalms, because David asked God why all the time. David said, God, where are you? Why are you far away from me? And God, why is it that when trouble comes, I can't find you? We keep telling people stuff that we should be telling God. You keep pouring out all your anger on people. Christian culture solutions don't work. Watch this. Neuroscience now tells us, neuroscience now tells us that concepts, concepts cannot change behavior. You need to write this down. If you're not right, and you should be right, why, why are you not right? My God, concepts do not change behavior. In other words, I can tell you conceptually what's wrong with you. You knowing that, but like, oh wow, I did not realize that's what's wrong with me. You knowing that will not help you at all. Concepts do not change behavior. The only thing that changes behavior, watch it, is experience. You have a behavior of fear. You are afraid. You are fearful. You deal with anxiety and you are fearful. What's that connected to? That is not. It's not just irrelevant. No, what is the fear connected to? Well, the fear is connected to when I was this age, I was abandoned by these people. And so I have a fear of abandonment and you you experience that fear and you have a legitimate gripe and the fear that you live with the anxiety you live with comes from a place and it comes from an experience the only way to rewire that inside of you is to have another experience And, we, and we, we, we see people with such great abhorrent behavior. We, we, we watch people. Why does she do that? Why does he do that? Why do they do that? That's so crazy. Why would they go there? Why would they say that? Why, what would make him do that? Why would he leave his family? Why would she sleep around on her husband? Why would you be involved in this? Why would you do drugs? Why would you go to drink? Why? All this abhorrent behavior is not root. It's just fruit. Abhorrent behavior is symptoms of deeper issues. And we'll say, we'll say, well, the Bible says to fear not. And we think that's a just a cure-all. Like we could just say it. But God said, Fear not. Well, have you experienced God to taking away your fear? Have you brought Jesus into that fear? And have you experienced him remove the fear? Or have you just heard the scripture? Because the scripture itself ain't going to take away fear. The experience of God taking away fear is where I know <laughs> that it's real. This is another verse that people use a lot. Um, well, you know, perfect love casteth out. All fear. Yeah. Perfect love does cast out all fear, but not the scripture perfect love casts out all fear. You can tattoo that scripture on your chest. Some people do. But that scripture ain't going to help you at all. Perfect love, an actual experience of perfect love will cast out fear. Just the scripture itself. The conceptual. I, I Listen, I know the word, but I have battled fear. How many people in the room right now, be honest, raise your hand and say, you know what, pastor? I know all the scriptures, but I still battle the fear. I know, all the, I, know all the, I know all the conceptual Christian liturgical issues, but I still battle the issue. Because just the words themselves aren't helping you. You need experience. You need to feel God come into your room and take away the fear from you. Watch this. Jesus is grieving. His heart is heavy. He's on his face. He's crying. He's bleeding. He's, oh God, I can't deal with this. I can't. And Jesus does not get a scripture from heaven. God doesn't say, in my word it doth say. Not what God did. When Jesus is broken and he's wounded and he's poured himself out, this is what God does He sends an angel. Experience. <laughs> Uh, he, God doesn't give him a scripture to read. I believe in the word. You know I believe in the word. Don't leave here and say, well, Pastor Javis doesn't believe in the word of God. I believe in the word of God. But I want to experience the word of God. As long as it's paper and as long as it's ink on a page and doing me no good. God, I want to feel the love that casteth out all fear. I want to feel the power of God that will take fear from my life. I want to be in that dark room surrounded by fear and darkness and call out your name and say, God. Come into this and feel you walk in the room. And when I know, hey, he's here. And then it's greater than a pastor's message. It's greater than a book I read. It's greater than what my mama told me. But I felt him. The angel came and he stood beside me and he put his hand on me and he said, I'll take care of it. I'll make it right. And that experience, that experience, that experience is greater than every scripture you could ever read to me. All the scripture does is prepare us for the expectation of what God can do. It's the, 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 the scripture prepares your expectation. I know God said if he's for me, who can be against me? I know God said he'll never leave me nor forsake me. And so the scripture prepares me for expectation. But the experience, the experience settles my soul. Until you know, you don't know. We have to know the difference between what is true and what is real. We have to know the difference between what is true and what is real. Love casteth out all fear is true, but it's not real to some of us. It's true. Nothing we can do to change the facts. It is true. Perfect love will cast out all fear. Men, this is why the women in our lives want to feel our love. They want to be connected to us in love because women are inherently fearful of structure. Women are inherently fearful of the supply and demand need that they get from a man. And so when they feel your love, it is, they fear less. But if you don't express your love to them, they live in constant fear. Does he love me? Does he not? Does he love me? Does he not? Is he here? Is he there? Is he in the room? Is he not in the room? Because the experience of the perfect love is what drives out fear. Perfect love drives out all fear is true. But until it becomes real to you, it has no effect. Fear not is true. He is with you is true. He'll never leave you nor forsake you is true. But have you experienced it yet? Is it real? Because until it becomes real to you, real can't be true, even though true is true. I'll give you just a quick example of the, uh, uh, the story that I'm referencing is uh, a man who adopted a young boy who was about seven or eight years old, and every day the young boy would ask uh, his stepfather, are you going to pick me up today from school? Yeah, I'll be there, 3.30. I'll be, I'll be in the line. I'll, be, I'll pick you up. And he was there, picked him up. Next day, young boy, uh, are you going to be there today? Yeah, I'll be there today. I'm going to be there every day. I'll I'm, I'm be there every day to pick you up. And for months and months and months, every day, the young boy would, hey, are you going to pick me up today? Are you going to be there? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to be there. But the problem was is this young boy's experience was in his Previous relationships, that everybody let him down, and promises were broken systematically over his life. And so he was trained by the tutors and governors of his life that people will let you down. And he knew this young man was was speaking truth, but what was real to this little boy was that people let me down. People lied to me. And until he experienced over and over this man being on time, what was true could only become real through experience. And there are people sitting in this room. Life has trained you in a certain way. He trained you. She trained you. Your mother trained you. Your father trained you. Your experiences trained you. You've sat under tutors and governors until the time of the the appointed of the father. And you have been systematically programmed to believe this is real, even though it's not true. People hate me. That's real to you. But it's not true. They're talking about me. It's not real. It's not, it's, it's not true, but it's real to you. Nobody appreciates me around here. Not, not true, but real to you. They don't really love me. They're just saying that. Not true, but it's real to you. They don't, they don't, they don't, they don't really care for me like they're telling me they care for me. They care for you, that's true, but it's just not real to you. And until you have a system, until you have a safe place... With safe people and a consistent experience, you won't believe truth until it becomes real to you. And this is why a lot of our Christian cultural solutions don't work. Because we just tell people, well, you know, God said, blah, 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 blah. Have a good day. And sometimes that's all we can do. Sometimes all I can do as a pastor is show you the scripture and say, listen, I know you're going through this and I know it's a a struggle and a trial. But let me tell you what what the what the word says. The word says this. This is what the word says. And sometimes as a leader, as a pastor, that's all I can do is point you in the right direction. But until you can bring Jesus into that experience, it won't be settled in your heart. What is true can't become real until you've experienced it. You need an experience. That's why I wouldn't go to a church that did not believe in demonstration of the power of God. Let's say that again. That's why I would not attend a church that did not believe in the demonstration of the power of God. I don't want to just know about him. I want to feel him. If this is all liturgical and we're just sitting here for a lesson and I'm just gonna get knowledge. Knowledge is powerful. I believe that. But experience outweighs it all. Can you feel God at your church? Can you feel Him? I'm talking about can you feel Him? Can you feel when He steps into the room? Because if you can't feel it, I just don't know. If I wanna be a part of something, you can't. I wanna experience what is in the scripture. I'm glad He did it for Moses, but I wanna see your glory. And sometimes, we can't have the correct conversations because we're not in a safe place and not around safe people. And we have to explain to God where we're at. I'm going I'm to bring up three things and then I'm going to try, try to be done in about 10, 12 minutes. Is that okay? If I, if I go to 850, is that okay? And some of y'all are just like totally lost right now. If you, and if you're not lost, maybe it's just you just you just you're just hoping i make sense at some point. And and if that's the case, I'm sorry. I'm just I'm pouring out my spirit to you because I have been here. Okay? I've been here. I've been the evangelist on the platform speaking in tongues praying people through the Holy Ghost, watching people get out of wheelchairs, 27, 28, 30, 40, 50, 100 people getting the Holy Ghost at one time and going back to my hotel room and fighting the devil all night long. Oh yeah, I've been the guy that stood in the place and let God, God filled me up and I poured into the people and I went back to my hotel room and fought the devil. I, I, I ain't talking about, I ain't talking about I had a bad night. I'm talking about I literally sweat, cried and teared and fought the urges to just walk down the street and go to the corner and get me a 40-ounce and a blunt and just find me some weed somewhere and make it all go away because I know what that will do. Don't look at me like I'm crazy. I fought him. And my family said, what's wrong with you? What's wrong? My wife saying, baby, what's wrong? I don't know. Why can't you sleep? I don't know. And you can't tell nobody, because you're supposed to be the man of God. And if you tell somebody, maybe they may kick me out, because I don't have a safe place, and I don't have safe people. And it wasn't until people started speaking into my life that that knew I was going through stuff and started saying things to me that registered with me. Until I really got honest with God, and I was like, "Well, I'm mad." And when God told me to forgive, I laughed him to scorn. when God told me what my, when God pointed out my problem to me, I was mad at God, and I told him as much, because I felt like that part of my life was a free pass, and I could hate that man for what he did to me and I thought because Of the grievous nature of his actions, somehow I was free from letting him go. Oh, I can let anybody go, Lord, but not him. I hope he burns in hell. Oh, y'all ain't never been mad at somebody like that. That's fine. It's fine. The reason I'm pouring myself out to you is because I know there's people in this room that need to be healed. And the only way you're going to get healed is if you say to God what God already knows you're thinking he knows you're thinking it. He knows it's in your heart, but you just won't say it. You won't let it out. I talked about this last week. Talked about, you know, it's like a married couple where you know something's wrong with your spouse. You know, but they're like, oh, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. I, yeah. Do you love me? I love you, but I, you know, what's wrong? I don't know. I don't know. There's nothing wrong, but you know something's wrong. Yeah. And, and, and watch this. In a married relationship, you know there's something wrong. No matter how much you smile, no matter how much you smell good, look good, I know there's something wrong because it always shows up in intimacy. Because you can smile all you want to, fake it all you want to, but intimacy always brings it to the top. And some of us can come in here, suits and ties, look good, shout, we got a little dance down, we done practice it in the mirror. We got all that down, but when God really wants to get intimate, we struggle. And we'll we'll cry a tear and we'll we'll suck it back up in that eye. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I've watched you. I've watched you come down here and I've watched God touch you and you, I can't be intimate. I can't be intimate. I can't be intimate. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with shouting, looking good. I'm fine with all my credentials. I'm fine with looking the part, but I don't really want to get that close to God. Why? Because you're mad at him and you won't tell him. You're mad at him because he didn't show up. You're mad at him because he wasn't there. You're mad at him because all your dreams failed. You're mad at him because they left you. You're mad at him because your child died. You're mad at him because your family member died. You're mad at him because you prayed and you believed and you did all that Christian stuff, but God didn't show up and you're mad at him. But you won't tell him you're mad at him. He knows it. He feels it. He feels it every time you resist him when he tries to get close. You can say all you want to say, but it always shows up in intimacy. Oh, hallelujah. I'm, I'm getting somewhere now. I'm getting somewhere now. I feel it in the Holy Ghost. I feel the breaking because the person that you're mad at the most, you won't even tell. You'll tell me. You'll, you'll come and tell me I'm so angry. I'm so upset. I'm so this. I'm so that. But when have you told God? When, when did you open your mouth and say, God, I can't do this? And I'm not talking about no patty kick prayer. I'm talking about a three-hour Gethsemane prayer where you open up your mouth and you tell God exactly what you feel. I don't like it. I don't want to do it. Just, just tell God how you feel. Tell God how you feel about me. Tell God how you feel about them. Yeah, we are full of ungrieved losses. We have not grieved properly. The Bible says that Jesus grieved. He was grieved. He was upset. He was sad. He he grieved. And we have ungrieved losses, and every loss in our life needs an appropriate season of grieving, whether it's your favorite person or your favorite pen. And it's okay to be mad, it's just who you're mad to. When we get angry and we try to connect it to people, and this is what God said we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Because you're trying to let us know your fight's not with this and not with that person. But we, and we, the thing is is that when we, when we try to, to kill pain in other ways, and we, it comes out dysfunctional. And we are mad at people and we're mad at them and we hate this person and hate that person. You show me a marriage where two people can't talk and I'll show you a marriage full of wounds. You show me a family that has issues. Amongst the family, and I'll I'll show you people that are wounded, and they haven't grieved, they haven't worked out the wound yet, and they're mad at the person, and they'll say it openly, but they won't say it to God. When you don't have a safe place to get it all out, it comes out dysfunctional. And God, listen to me, write this down, God is the only one that can hold it. He's the only one that can hold it. He's the only one that can handle everything you really got to say. You can't say it to people. There's married couples in this room right now. If I would let you just go at it and say what you wanted to say, you would cut each other so deep that you can you cannot unhear some things. And when I said that, I'm not even gonna go there. You know. When I said it, I felt it. Because there's some marriages in this room right now, you still can't unhear some things that were said because it comes out dysfunctional. And it's like trying to put a bullet back in a gun. No, baby, it's already been, it's, it's been shot. It's done. It's through. It's cut. The blood, is, the, the, the blood is oozing. And there's no way to reverse that. That's why we can't say it to each other. We have to say it to God. He's the only one. I can hold it. You tearing someone down to someone else is dysfunctional. But you tearing someone down to God is not going to change how God feels about that person. <laughs> okay, y'all don't believe me. Tur- turn in your Bibles, please. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, chapter 109 for the unbelievers in the house. I love it when the word works. Watch what, watch what David says in, in Psalms 9. He says, Hold not thy peace, O God of my praise, for the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful are open against me, that they have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They compass me about also with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. For my love, they are my adversaries, but I give myself unto prayer. He said, he said they're, they're, they're my enemies, but you know what? I'm going to give myself unto prayer. I'm just going to pray about it. And here's what I'm going to pray. And they have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. Set thou a wicked man over him and let Satan stand at his right hand. He said, Lord, I want, a, I want an evil man to rule over him. And Lord, just let Satan stand at his right hand all the time. He said, and, and when he shall be judged, let him be condemned and let his prayer become sin. I pray, Lord, I pray that his prayer just would be sin. Let his days be few. God, let him die young. And you know what? When he dies, let somebody else take his office. You know what? Let his children be fatherless, Lord, and make his wife a widow. Kill him, Lord. <laughs> y'all, y'all reading the same Bible? You got the same Bible I got? Y'all got a different Bible? You got a different Psalms than I got? I got the, you got the same Psalms I got? Because this is what he's saying in, in my Psalms. He said, Lord, I'm mad. I'm mad at him, Lord. So I'm going to go to prayer. Here's what I'm going to pray. Lord, let him die young. Let his kids be fatherless. Let, him, look, let his children continue to be vagabonds. And let him beg in the street, Lord. I want to see him in some tattered clothes with no shoes on. I'm talking about arms, arms. Let him seek their bread also out of the desolate places, Lord. Let the extortioner catch all that he hath. And let the stranger spoil his labor. Let there be none to extend mercy unto him. Neither let there be any to favor his fatherless children. Good. Gracious, what did this man do to David? God is the only one that can hold it. We've said worse than this, to people to their face. And when we said it to people, it cut. When we said it to people, it broke. When we said it to people, it was dysfunctional. But when we said it to God, God can hold it. And once you get it all out, you're like, I feel better now. We we don't pray like this. David was a man after God's own heart. And I think, and I'm, I'm beginning to believe that one of the reasons that David was a man after God's own heart is because David didn't hold nothing back from God. And when you speak to God in such a way, what you're telling him is, Lord, I trust you with this. We don't see it that way, but his ways are higher above our ways and his thoughts are higher above our thoughts. But really, if you love someone, would you not tell them how you really felt? If you really love me, give it to me straight. How many in this room would rather have it straight? Just give it to me straight. If you really trust me, tell me how you really feel. Don't hold back. Don't, don't, don't look at me and smile in my face and go behind my back and talk about me. That's one of the worst things you can do to me. And we do it to God all the time. Come up in here smiling. Yeah. If you want some good comedy, continue to read Psalms 109. We all have ungrieved losses. We have pain. We all have hurt. And we need to tell God about it. That is Gethsemane. Gethsemane is speaking honestly to God. Gethsemane is saying, God, this hurts. God, I'm broken. God, I can't do this. God, this is too much for me. And I know what that feels like. Because when God showed me my unforgiveness, I was angry. God, no, 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 no. Don't make me do that. I don't know if I can. not I've never even thought about that. I've never even put that in my mind. I've never put that on my plate. For Forgive that? Why? Why would you put that on my plate? Why would you show me this? I thought I got a free pass on this one because they hurt me so bad. Yeah. You see, I'm not here to, tonight, and I'm closing. I'm not here tonight giving you something That I just read or heard. And I've read and heard a lot of this. What I'm telling you now. I'm telling you something that I've lived. Real healing. Real healing. True healing. Can only come. When we find Gethsemane. Peter didn't pray. He didn't pray. He had three hours. The Lord told him what was happening. He said, Peter, they're going to come. They're going to take me. They're going to kill me. And Peter said, no, 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 That's not going to happen. He said, Satan, get thee behind me. He tried to rebuke Jesus because Jesus told him, I'm, I'm, they, they're going to come. They're going to take me. They're going to kill me. And instead of Peter praying for three hours, he slept. Jesus prayed for three hours. They came and got him. He opened not his mouth. They tortured him. They beat him. They lied on him. They mocked him. And he let it happen. Peter didn't pray. And when they came to get him, he broke out a sword and tried to fight him in his own power. Because he didn't talk to God. You see, this is really about prayer. This whole lesson and, and and I got more, I got more. I'm gonna come back next Wednesday night. We're gonna go, we're gonna go deeper. Is that okay? Yes. Listen, this whole thing's about prayer. I want you to pray in a safe place with safe people. I want you to pray. I want you to say what you really need to say though, because it's the only way healing can come through experience. I'm going to tell you this story, and if someone wants to come play, they can come play. Give these people hope. It's 857. Several years ago, when me and my wife lived in North Carolina, my Amanda's cousin's wife's sister, was a friend of ours, came and visited. She visited for a weekend, and then on, I think it was Sunday afternoon, she drove home back to Ohio young i think she's like 22 23 years old she drove back to ohio she got home in ohio and she told her boyfriend she said i'm tired i'm going to go upstairs and lay down she went upstairs and lay down a couple hours later the boyfriend was like hmm. she's taking a long nap i'll go get her up see if she wants to get something to eat goes upstairs she's dead she was on birth control because she drove all the way through a blood clot formed in her leg and when she got home and laid down and went to her lungs and it killed her. Of course, the boyfriend's full of guilt. He should have checked on her earlier how this happened. It was, it was, a, it was a mess. The mother lived uh, right down the street from me and Amanda, right in the same area of land that we owned and had. So, of course, you know, we're all praying and it's just devastating. I mean, why? It's just so senseless. 20-some-year-old girl dying of, I mean, and it's so random. Like, who has ever heard of that before? It's just crazy. And so, a couple nights uh, had went by, and I saw her, her name was Paulette. I saw Paulette. And uh, I talked to her for a little while, and I said, How you doing? She said, I don't know. She said, I'm just, I'm a mess. I'm everywhere. I said, I can imagine. Paulette's not in church, not necessarily a Christian. I believe she loves God. All those things, but n- not necessarily a Christian as we would think, you know, like a person who's going to church all the time. And I love Paulette. If she ever sees this online. But she's not what we would consider like a, you know, faithful Christian going to church all the time. I said, Paulette, uh, I said, have you prayed? She said, I, she said, I can't pray. I said, why is that, Paulette? She said, because every time I try to pray, I'm so angry. She said, I just scream at God. And she said, I know that's wrong. And so I just don't pray. And my spirit was quickened. And I said, Paulette, I said, wait a minute. I said, the next time you do that, the next time you try to pray, and you get so mad at God, I said, Why don't you just let him let Him have it? Just let Him have it. Just say what you want to say. Give it to them, both barrels. I said, just, just give it to him. And she kind of looked at me like I was crazy. I said, trust me. I said, because talking to God, whether you're gentle or angry, is still talking to God. And God's a big boy. He can handle it. Just let him have it. And we left. It was a couple weeks later. The funeral had already taken place and prayed with the family and everything. It was a tough time. I talked to Paula and I said, hey, how you doing? She said, you know, she, I'm doing good. I'm doing, I'm doing well. She said, said, I want to tell you something. She said, the other night, she said, right, right before the funeral, she said, I went out to my backyard, and she said, I went out to smoke a cigarette. She said, I was in my backyard. She said, I was just crying and just like, why did this happen? And she said, I was thinking about it over and over again. She said, finally, I started just talking. And she said, so finally, I just started praying. She said, and I just told God, she said, why? Why, God? She said, I yelled she said I did exactly what you told me to do. She said, I just gave it to him. And she's, you know, she said, This is so stupid, so senseless. Why would you do this? Why would you take my baby? And she said, I just yelled and yelled and yelled. She said until I couldn't yell no more. So I cried and mad and screaming. She said, Fine ho, you know. And she said, I felt him coming that backyard. She said, I can't explain. I can't can't explain what happened. She said, but I just felt him come in there with me. I felt him move in that backyard. She said, I felt God. She said, I knew he was with me. And she said, ever since then, I've just had peace. I've just had peace. She said, I can't explain it. I don't know what happened. She said, but I've just had peace. What Paulette, who was not what we would consider a Christian, experienced in that moment was Gethsemane prayer. She let God have it. She did what David did. She did what David did in Psalm 6 and said, Lord, I've cried until my bed was swimming with tears. And where are you? She did what Jacob did in the desert. She wrestled until she got something. And she has peace. I wonder who in this room tonight could find peace if you just let God have it. Because he's the only one that can hold it. You've yelled at people. You've yelled at loved ones, you've yelled at your kids, you've yelled at your husband, you've yelled at your wife, you've yelled at your boss, you've been so mad with people you wanted to fight and some of you have actually fought. But when did you just let God hold? God, this is a mess. Why is this happening to me? God, I am alone. I feel like I'm all by myself. I feel like there's no one beside me. I feel like you've given up on me. I feel like you don't even have my back on this moment. And if you said all those things, you'd say exactly what Elijah said in the mountain. When he said, God, kill me now. I'm all alone. And then he heard God say, no, I have 7,000 that Hasn't bowed the knee. (laughs) You see, y'all keep looking at me like I'm crazy. But I promise you, I'm giving you revelation right now. I'm giving you revelation of the word of God because God is about to do something among us that is unprecedented. And it's going to take a safe place with safe people. And you can say what you want to say and it's going to be okay. Because this is a safe place. You can wag your finger at God if you want to. He's fine with that. He's a big boy. That finger ain't ever going to hurt him. You may find in that yelling and screaming that he might walk in the room with you. You might find in the middle of you speaking out of the abundance of your complaint, Hannah, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, where Hannah prayed and she said, I have spoken to the Lord out of the abundance of my complaint. Maybe in that moment. God will send a word. Maybe on top of a mountain you can say, God, I'm not leaving till you show me your glory. Maybe God will show you. But as long as we keep pretending, Like God's the only person we're not mad at. He can't really heal us. Some of y'all been through some stuff. You've been through some stuff. It's real experience. You, You have a reason to be afraid. You have a reason to be angry. You have a reason. I'm not disqualifying it. You have a legitimate gripe. The problem is he is the only legitimate complaint department that can handle it. hear what I said? That he's the only legitimate complaint department that can handle your complaint. You keep telling me but you should tell him. You keep telling your friends but you should tell him. You keep posting it on Facebook. Stop that mess. Don't post another thing about it on Facebook. Stop that mess. That's a bunch of mess. Stop trying to gain pity from people. You, You mad? Tell God. Facebook don't deserve that all them people getting to see your mess, getting to judge you how they want to judge you. Stop posting that junk on there. Type it out, delete it, and then say it all to God. God, this is a mess. I'm angry. That. Why why do I get to see that person? Why do I get to hear her? Why do I why do I feel this way? Just let God have it. And he might let you have it. The peace that passes all understanding. A God that says, "Oh, oh, they're telling me everything now. They really trust me." Oh, they're letting me hold it oh that's good that's good because a loving relationship speaks honestly amongst each other <laughs> that thing she's been hiding since she was 10 she's finally telling me about it oh let it let it come out. yes I can hold it I feel the Holy Ghost here right now right just just bow your head right where you at I want to be I pray this word was an encouragement to you today Thank you again for tuning in to Truth Chapel's podcast. If you have not yet, please take a moment and leave us a quick review. God bless and have a great rest of your day.